Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is TruthQuest Q&A, where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what the Bible says so that we can know what to believe, rather than approaching the Bible and trying to figure out how it can back up what I believe. That's a sure way to be wrong about things, is to try to approach the Bible to back up what we believe. A lot of people do that. A lot of people justify their own beliefs, how they approach the Bible. We want to make sure that we don't do it, that we want to know what God's Word said. Jesus said, blessed are those who hear and do what's in the Word of God, uh, that hear and do the Word of God. And so it's very important for us to have the right heart, the right mindset as we approach the Scriptures. And that's what our desire is to do. Uh, I want to welcome those of you who are joining us. It's good to have you here. If you want to ask a question, then write the word question or put a question mark in front of it and then write your question and then reread it a couple of times before you post it to make sure that it makes sense. Um, you can go ahead and add any scriptures in there that you're hoping that we would be able to take a look at and uh, we'll see if we can't take a look at them as well. So it's good to see you guys. We're going to get into our first question here. Our first question uh, is, did Jesus go to hell between his death and resurrection? Uh, this question often comes from the false teaching of the faith movement. Um, this is Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth uh, Copeland, uh, Charles Capps, Casey Treat, um, uh, then there's some some people that are what we could consider to be faith movement light, um, but all of them teach the same thing: that Jesus, when he died on the cross, went to hell and suffered for us. Uh, they use one of our creeds that says that we believe that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, that he died, that he went to hell and then he rose again. And I, I do believe there's a sense at which he went to hell, but he didn't suffer in hell. There's a couple of things that he did. He went to the place of the grave. This is um, Abraham's comfort, where, where the Old Testament saints, before the time of Jesus' death and resurrection, went for a holding place. It was a, it was a holding place for them, um, and they were comforted by Abraham. And then Jesus took a host of captives out of captivity and led them up into the presence of God. At least that's what we believe Ephesians 4 uh, tells us. And... Um, Jesus also went and preached to spirits that were in prison, but he wasn't being tormented by them. There's nothing in the Bible that says that he was tormented. In fact, the idea that Jesus had to complete the work of our atonement by suffering for us in hell is completely unbiblical and causes all kinds of problems. And so the answer, did Jesus go to hell between his death and resurrection? Yes. He went and delivered people. He went and proclaimed to, prisons, uh, to spirits that were kept in chains or kept in prison who did not keep their former abode, the Bible says, during the days of Noah. And, um, so, and who knows what he proclaimed there to them, his ultimate victory, because on the cross, his head, uh, the head of Satan was crushed and Jesus' heel was bruised. And so there was a victory there. Um, it's good to see you guys. I appreciate that question, by the way. It was from a former uh, Q&A. If you guys have any questions that you would like to ask, then write the word question down and then write your question out. Make sure uh, that it makes sense. Read it a couple of times. It's good to see you guys. I hope you guys are all being blessed. By the way, uh, we are just taking one question per person, all right? And um, 
then we will um, we'll make our way through it. So, got a couple questions here already. It's good to see you guys. I see a lot of people from um, YouTube and Facebook. All right, so it looks like both YouTube and Facebook are, are working. I wanna welcome you guys. Hope we're blessed uh, uh, by the time that we spend here looking into the Word of God. Uh, so, JG has a question, and JG says, who is the another beast that comes out of the earth in Revelation 13, 11? Is it a man or a fallen angel? Thank you, Pastor Robert. All right, so let me see if I can get this up. I was having a little bit of trouble beforehand. I can at least pull it up for me to be able to read. I'm not sure if I can get it up on the screen. For some reason, it doesn't seem to be working quite right. Let me go ahead and, all right. So I'm gonna go to Revelation 13, verse 11. And Revelation 13, verse 11 says, Oh, let's see, yeah, uh, the beast of the earth. And I saw another beast coming up out of the earth and it had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all authority over the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell on it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of all men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He granted power to give breath to the image of the beast and to the image of the beast should speak and, ca and cause as many as would worship the image of the beast uh, and would not, uh, excuse me, um, that the beast would speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So this is the false prophet. So you have the Antichrist, the false prophet, and, um, and, and the dragon. And it's been said that they make up the unholy trinity. Um, so there is a political leader, that is the Antichrist. And he's given great swelling words and he leads the entire world and all authority is given uh, under heaven and earth to him over the elect, which is during the tribulation period, the children of Israel and tribulation saints that are left behind um, from being caught up to meet the Lord in the air and forever being with the Lord. Uh, so, um, yeah, that beast is a person. It is the false prophet. The Bible says that he will be cast into hell with, um, with Satan and with the Antichrist, and they will be tormented forever and ever. That's what the Bible says um, about them. All right, so thank you very much, JG. I appreciate that. Hopefully that will be helpful to you. Uh, we have another question here. Good to see you guys. Good to see you, Daniel. Uh, we have another question here from Jari or, or Jerry. I'm trying to figure out which one it is. Uh, I'm going to call you Jerry until you give me your name, Jerry, if it's Jerry or Jari. All right. Um, is, the horse, uh, is the horse Jesus rides literal or symbolic? Did it go to heaven or was it created in heaven? Animals in heaven, representative of animals on earth. Uh, thank you. Uh, so, when Jesus returns to the earth and he rides on a white horse, King of Kings and Lord of Lords is written on his thighs. Um, what do we know about this horse? Some use the, this horse as a sign that animals will be up in heaven, that our pets will be there. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's what it means. As far as, is this a horse that had a lineage here on earth that Jesus was able to ride upon? Is this a horse that God created to come from heaven? Is it a metaphor? Does it speak of something else? 
I'm not sure. I don't know how to be able to tell. Um, I don't know that there's any other passage anywhere that would help us be able to try to figure that out, Jari. So thank you very much for your question. I appreciate it. Uh, we have a question from Psychman45. And Psychman says, During prayer, God has made, um, has God ever made you laugh? Or have you argued with him? He made me laugh once. I argued twice. Good thing he's more understanding than Gabriel, no? Um, yeah, so the reference is that when Zacharias questioned Gabriel uh, in the book of Luke, that uh, Gabriel said, because you didn't believe me, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and because you didn't believe me, you're going to be mute. Um, so has God ever made me laugh? Um, I mean, other than maybe what's in Scripture, I, I, I don't know that I've ever been in prayer and, and, and just laughed, or that God ever put something in my mind that was funny that made me laugh. Um, I, I don't think so. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say no, not as far as I know, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that that hasn't happened. Um, argued with God. Um, I don't know that I've ever argued with God, but I certainly have let God know, well, maybe so. You know, now that I think about it, I've let God know how I feel. When I was grieving over the loss of my wife, uh, I looked at a, we had a cross in our bedroom that had love in the middle of it, God is love. And um, I kind of told God, I saw, I looked at the cross while I was just laying there and I was at a point in my grieving where I didn't care if I lived or died. I didn't, uh, I didn't want to die. I mean, I didn't, I didn't wasn't going to kill myself, but I just told God, I'm done. I'm ready, whatever you want to do. And um, when I saw that cross, I said to God, um, you know what, I'm not sure you do love us. You let Lisa go through that. Here I am in the midst of this. And I am glad that God is gracious because I certainly didn't feel that way for long. But what I do know is that when you're full of grief like that and you pour out your heart to God, that God is gracious and that it's not a sin that can't be forgiven. If questioning God is a sin, which I would kind of think that it would be, um, then I'm sure that God forgives that sin and, uh, and, and, and helps us as we long just to endeavor to really make things right with him. And so, yeah, in prayer, never laughed, but have, um, have argued with God at least on one occasion, but not very often. All right, psych man, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, we have, let me go ahead and get rid of psych's question, psych man's question, and we have a question from, um, what is this, up? Up to no good for Jesus. All right, up to no good for Jesus. It's good to have you here. I'm not quite exactly sure how that would all work. Maybe you could explain it to us sometime. Um, are the two witnesses supposed to be prophets or is there a scripture saying they will be prophets? I do believe that you can look at their actions and see that they are prophets. They call fire down from heaven and um, cause rain to not fall on the ground for three and a half years. So those are the two miracles that they do. Um, and I think that we could connect those to Elijah, the prophet, and that one of these is Elijah. I believe that because they are in Jerusalem, God's dealing with Israel, that the two witnesses are Jewish. 
Uh, it could be Moses and Enoch. Enoch being the other uh, person that never died. Or it could be Elijah and Enoch, sorry. the person They both never died. Uh, Enoch was taken up to be with God. And Elijah was taken up to God in, in a chariot of, uh, chariot of fire, I believe. And so um, that could be the two witnesses who are killed in Jerusalem. Finally, they finally overcome them, but they can't for a long time. Um, and so I would believe that they are prophets in the sense that they're doing, they're doing miracles and they are speaking for God. And I think they would fulfill that Old Testament aspect of what a prophet is during that tribulation period. We also have the 144,000 Jews, each of the 12 tribes of Israel that are spreading the gospel around the world as well. I think there'll be a lot of people who will get saved during the tribulation period. All right, thanks up to no good. I appreciate that. Uh, I hope uh, I hope you have a good day. And we have a question from Matt. Matt says, uh, question, what Jews are considered the Jacob's trouble? What Jews are considered the Jacob's trouble? The Jews of the tribulation, the ones God will protect, Orthodox Jews, only ones in Israel, any USA Jews, then what kind of destiny do the same Jews of the tribulation have today if they pass away? All right, uh, thanks Matt, I appreciate that. It's a good question. Jeremiah 30 verse seven uh, says, and that day is a day of, of distress it is a day of Jacob's trouble. Jacob, of course, had his name changed to Israel. Uh, and in context, it's easy to read that it's a day of the trouble of Israel. So it's talking specifically about the nation of Israel, God's timing to bring them back to himself. I'm thinking of Romans 11, where it says, blindness in part has happened to Israel, but um, blindness in part has happened to Israel until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled and that's when Jerusalem is, is no longer trampled underfoot by Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. And then they will be saved out. They'll, be, they'll all be saved. And in Jeremiah 37, it says it's a time of Jacob's trouble, but they will be saved out of it. So those two verses are similar. They will all be saved and they will be saved out of it. Uh, you have to be saved by Jesus. So let's just say Jesus comes back in, in, 20, in, in September of 20, uh, 2022. And what about the Jews that don't know Jesus who die in um, August of 2022? Then they are, they are judged by God. They are still under the wrath of God. It's only by the name of Jesus that you are able to give your life to him and able to be saved, sorry, um, and able to be saved. So um, there's no special salvation for for Israel, I've heard people say that, that they can be saved apart from Jesus, but there is none. They rejected their Messiah. They have to be saved the same way we can. There's no other name given under heaven whereby we can be saved except Jesus Christ. All right. Um, so to all of those questions, it is the, the nation of Israel in the tribulation period. God will, they, they are, the Antichrist is given authority over them, but then they are supernaturally taken into the wilderness and protected by God when the dragon comes down with great wrath against them. All right, so I hope that is helpful. Matt, um, let's make sure I answered your question here. What kind of destiny do the same Jews of the tribulation have today if they pass away? Right, so you gotta come through Jesus. Otherwise, it's um, Jesus said at the end of John chapter three that if, if you don't believe in him, if you don't believe in, in 
God and put your trust in him, then the wrath of God is still on you. And that's a scary thing. The wrath of God is on us. For those of you that are, are watching this and you don't know him, the wrath of God is on you. And that's a scary thought. The only way to get the wrath of God off of us is by receiving Jesus as our savior. That God allows us to be born again. And when we are born again, we are transformed and changed. We become soldiers for the living God. Uh, we stand fast and firm for him. We're given authority uh, because we have made a commitment to Christ. All right, thank you, Matt. I appreciate that. Good question and good to see you. Hope you have a great day. Uh, we have a question from, from Natalie. Natalie, how are you? So Natalie says, if someone doesn't want to pray to God, should they still pray in order to be close to God? Or should they pray from the heart and pray because they want to from their heart? If someone doesn't want to pray to God, I'm not sure why they wouldn't want to pray. Should they still pray in order to be close to God? I, if I'm understanding your question right, if someone has a desire to be close to God, then they're going to be praying without ceasing. They're going to be in constant fellowship with God. If you're delighting yourself in the Lord and he's giving you the desires of your heart, if you're abiding in Christ and his word abides in you, if you're walking by the spirit so you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, then you're going to be interacting with God. You're going to be praying. You're going to be, be talking to him. And I can't think of a reason why someone would not want to pray. Um, I can think of, I can think of reasons people don't pray, but I don't know why people wouldn't want to pray. So maybe you want to clarify that a little bit, or perhaps I answered your question there. Um, yeah, we, we, prayer is the means by which we communicate with God. Prayer is the means by which we receive what God has for us. Prayer is powerful and meaningful. The Bible says you don't have because you don't ask and you don't have when you ask because you ask amiss, wanting to spend it on your own pleasures. And um, Hezekiah changed his destiny by prayer. And I believe that we can change our destiny by prayer as well. God, help us to draw close to you. Help us to have the right heart. And uh, prayer is, is a great gift given to us by which we get to communicate and interact with God. All right, thank you. I appreciate that. All right, so I'm, I'm gonna bring back in um, uh, un, um, up to no good um, question, and, and, and this is the second question that they've had, but I think it relates to the first one. Uh, if the first question is they do not have to be prophets, do you think we will see Elijah? Ah, okay, so um, I, I believe one of them will be Elijah. I, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and say, undoubtedly, one of them is going to be Elijah. And um, that is because Elijah has to come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And what he does is what Elijah does. What those prophets do are the things that Elijah did in the Old Testament. The question is really on Moses or Enoch. Which one of those is it? Satan and Michael argued over the body of Moses and God buried Moses. That's kind of a strange thing that God buried Moses. And so the question is really over those two and which one you might think is it. And, and I've heard good, solid Bible teachers say both. I think it's Moses and Elijah because um, I think God's dealing with Israel during that time in Jerusalem and um, they are both Jewish and would represent Israel. You could say that 
the that it needed to be Enoch because Israel and um, both Israel and the the Gentiles needed to have somebody represent them. Maybe, but I don't know. So I'll leave myself a little open for both of those guys. Um, lean towards Moses. All right. So I appreciate that um, follow up to your question. Um, we have a question from Iris, and, and um, if you're here for the very first time, we want to welcome you. We hope that you're blessed by the time that you spend here today. Uh, we take time to go through, to look at questions at the lens of Scripture, to see what the Bible has to say, so that we can really determine what we believe. We truly are on a truth quest, and it's good to have you here. If you have a question, then write the word question out, and then reread your question a couple times, make sure it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit it. We take one question per person uh, during our our live Q&A. Alright, so this is live. It's good to see you guys. Um, so Iris says, question, I have received a personalized letter from a Jehovah Witness. Is it appropriate to respond kindly? Thank you. But proclaiming sincerely, verbally, I am a Christian, uh, I'm a, I'm in Christian faith or not. So should you respond to a letter from um, the Je Jehovah Witnesses? Um, one, one thing that I would like to find out is what are you wanting to accomplish by responding to it? So if you think that there's something you might be able to share, which could plant a seed or water something that maybe somebody else said, and that maybe they'll would, would turn away from the lies of being a Jehovah witness and follow Jesus, Yahweh, the real, the real, the real God. Um, then maybe you could respond. I, I would say to be led by the Spirit. Um, for the most part, they're going to be really steeped in it. That doesn't mean they don't come out of it. it. doesn't mean we shouldn't try because who knows that God might not help us to, to get a hold of somebody to bring them out of something like this. Um, but you're n probably not going to get a good response. You're not going to get a good positive response. You're going to get some kind of a, a negative response from them and um, or if nothing at all. Um, but you did receive a letter. Maybe it's an open door for you to be able to share. Um, I've shared a lot at the door with the Jehovah Witnesses and um, it has seemed to be ineffective for me to be able to do that. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, I think you could and just kind of see what happens. Really give it to God. Do it prayerfully. All right. Thank you. All right. So I appreciate that. Good to see you here today. Uh, so... We have a question here from Andy and Tanya. So, so Andy um, and Tanya say, question, do you believe we go to heaven when we die or asleep until God calls us up when the rapture happens? Uh, thank you, Andy and Tanya. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, so there are, there are cults that believe in soul sleep. There are groups, Christian groups, that believe in soul sleep, but the Bible doesn't teach soul sleep. The Bible teaches that we are, that we have an intermittent state. That intermittent state is the time between you die and you are resurrected. And there is some question as to exactly what happens during that time. You could, we might be, we might get a body. In Corinthians, Paul talked about being further clothed and unclothe us, unclothe us to leave us unclothed, but to be further clothed. We are, we have a spirit soul and our bodies will be resurrected to us. Um, Jesus told the story of the rich man and Lazarus. 
one being comforted and one being in a place of torment, one being at Abraham's comfort and also in the, the other one in the place of torment, but they seem to have bodies. Um, but obviously they'll, they're not the resurrected bodies. A and um, there are souls of saints under the throne during the tribulation period that seem to not have bodies. So the argument as to whether or not we have a body during the, this intermittent state, um, I don't know, but we don't, there's no such thing as soul sleep. We, Paul said to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord, or at least that was his sentiment. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And um, he was also wondering, should I stay here or should I go to be with the Lord? And he has determined to stay with them, but it wouldn't have been a question had he just been going to sleep. He would have said, should I stay here with you or should I go into my long rest? Um, and again, there, there's nothing biblical for it. Uh, the Bible uses sleep to talk about Christians in 1 Corinthians 15 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, but that's because to, for a saint, we close our eyes and we die. This body may decay, but one day we will open our eyes again. We will be resurrected. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it literally says those who have died. Um, it goes on to talk about those that have died. So no, I don't believe that we go to sleep. I don't believe in soul sleep, the doctrine of soul sleep. I don't believe that there's anything in the Bible that would even suggest that that is the case and that there's plenty to suggest that we are in the presence of God. Those that have gone before us are there with him right now and um, being comforted in eternity. All right, Andy, thank you very much for your question. I appreciate that. We have a question from Renee. Renee, it's good to see you. Renee says, question, can a believer have a demonic presence? I need help. All right. Um, well, let me see if I can help you out, Renee. Um, you, I'm going to assume you're a child of God. I'm going to assume you're born again. When you were born again, it wasn't just your sin being removed. It wasn't just you being given eternal life and having your ticket stamped for heaven. I think both of those happened, but you were transformed. You were changed. Now, the old nature, the old woman still there. The new nature, the new woman is there as well. And the Bible tells us there's this battle going on. The flesh struggling against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh so that we don't do the things we want. And so I think that that's all of our experience. That's what the Bible says. And anybody who would ever say, well, I've handled it and I, I, I always do what I want. Well, good. I'm glad, I'm glad you got there. Um, I don't believe you, but I'm glad you got there. Bible says if we say we have no sin, we're a liar. And there's a lot of arrogance in saying I've gotten things handled and don't struggle anymore. Um, but what happens is, is that you're transformed and your spirit is brought to life and you become a child of God and the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you. Your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. The wrath of God is taken off of you and the love of God is given to you. And along with that position, you become a child of God. And as a child of God, you now have authority. Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 19, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will by any means hurt you. Bible says at the end of 1 John, If we are in Christ, we do not sin. Taking it in context, it means practicing sin. 
We don't live with some unconfessed, unrepentant sin in our lives and the evil one cannot touch us. So the answer to your question is that no, Renee, the Holy Spirit's inside of you. You are already possessed by the Spirit of God. There cannot be a demon inside of you. Greater is he that is in you, the Bible says, than he that is in the world. You could give place to the enemy. The Bible says, give no place to the enemy and we are not unaware of his schemes. So you might be doing something that gives Satan a place and you've got to evaluate what that is. You've got to look at what that, what that could possibly be and know that you've been given authority and you could take authority. If you make things right between you and God right now, so there's nothing wrong between you and God, and then you ask God to deliver you from any place that you may have given the enemy in your life, God wants that to happen and God will make things right with you. I mean, you can do it in a moment. You can sincerely say, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Help me with my struggles. I want to serve and follow you. I want to be obedient to what I find within the word of God and I want to live for you. And then you, you, suddenly things will be right between you and God. It's that easy. It's that simple. It's that quick. And then as you go out to live your life, you're asking him if there's anything that I've done that has cooperated with the enemy to to be involved in my life, then I pray you to reveal it and I repent from it and I turn from it. Know then the authority that you have. That Satan is far more fearful of you, Renee, if you really get a hold of the call that God has on your life. I think the enemy would like to keep you trapped and bound. He would like you thinking, oh, the devil's after me and he's got this, he's really doing these things and, and I don't know what to do. Instead of you, you're, you're the child of God. You're a soldier in the kingdom of God. You're like an athlete who's running for God. And when you get things in the proper place, you begin to do the work and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And you have your feet prepared with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you go out and do the work that God's called you to do. The enemy has no place for you. It's just understanding our authority, living it. If um, you can pray, but if you have a pastor that you can go to and sit down, if you go to Calvary, I don't know if you do or not, Renee, but you can go sit down with one of our pastors afterwards tell them this very thing. I think somehow there's some demonic you know, work in my life and let them lay hands on you and pray for you. That the enemy would be bound and that you would be set free. Now this can't happen in your life unless you give place to him and you could take care of that by getting rid of that place that you give place to him. So may God give you eyes to see. May you be bold as a child of God. May you know who you are as God's child that the evil one can't touch you. He's scared of us. We are not to be scared of him because we have Christ in us. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We're doing the work that God's called us to do and people are coming to Christ. So stand firm, stand strong, and don't let, don't let the enemy shoot his fiery darts in. I have more of a feeling that this is more of the fiery darts that the enemy wants to shoot in. That, you know, I have this demonic presence that's after me. So he's setting your mind on fire instead of you just boldly studying God's word, growing, becoming a mature Christian, becoming strong in Christ, being able to stand off against the enemy when it comes to the souls of men and women, rescuing people literally from the flames of hell. Because that's what God's called us to. And that's who we are. And that's who the devil is afraid of. And, and we really need to get a hold of that. All right, Renee. So thank you very much. Um, I hope you are involved in a church 
Hope you've got a good um, friends that you could talk to about Christ. I hope you're praying about this regularly and I would encourage you to get as connected as you possibly can be to be able to make the, 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 the strides towards your Christian faith that you should make to be the person that Christ has called you to be. All right, so thank you very much. I appreciate that, Renee. I hope you're blessed. Uh, we have a question from, um, let's see. All right, we have a question from, I think it's uh, from Heather. Uh, good to see you, Heather. Heather says, I, um, I have visions awake sporadically that come true even in less than an hour. It has been frightening for me because I see it before it happens. Who or why does this happen? Who gives this vision? Sorry if this is off topic. All right, Heather, thank you um, for your question. It, I, I, it all depends, right? So you're experiencing something that's supernatural. The supernatural is out there. You're seeing a vision of something, and I don't know how you describe it. Maybe you see it in your mind's eye. I don't know. And then it comes to pass. Whether it's from the enemy or from God is going to be, is going to determine on the fruit. If this is scaring you, if it's tearing you down, if it's not for anything good, then we can say it's not from God. But if it's good, then we could say it's from God. I would, I would be careful that a lot of times when people start to see these kind of things or have these things happen or say that they're happening, it, um, they become prideful because they see themselves as being special in the eyes of God. And none of us are. Jesus said the greatest among us is the least among us. So you really want to be careful. You also don't want to speak for God or say something is of God when it's not of God. So I see this as if, if, if it's God doing something in your life, it puts you in a dangerous position because you've got to walk, you want to walk humbly and you want to make sure you're speaking for God. If this is the enemy, then the fruit of it will be, become evident one way or another. All right. And um, yeah, the fruit of it will become evident one way or another. All right, Heather. So thank you very much. Um, on anything like that, we want to be really careful that we are really being directed by God and what's happening is from God as we surrender ourselves to him uh, so that we don't give in and start living for something or, or the enemy would love to make us prideful over certain things um, that are happening in our lives. All right. So thank you very much, Heather. I appreciate that. Uh, if you're new here with us today, we're really glad that you've joined us. Uh, this is a live Q&A. You can ask any questions that you want. My name is Robert Furl. I've been the pastor of Calvary Chapel of Tucson uh, for the last 36 years. And um, we are on a truth quest. We want to know what the Bible says so we can determine what we believe. I have a question from Annika. Annika, good to see you. Says, um, what do you know about the other writers of the Psalms? So we know that David wrote hmm, 30 something Psalms, I think is the number. I might be wrong about that particular number, but I think that's right. Um, and then we have Asaph, who was a writer under David. Um, and then I don't know with the other ones. I'm not saying it's not knowable that, that, there, that we can't do some research 
and find out who else they were. Um, but I think that um, at least one of them was a worship leader for David that would lead people in worship when they were in the temple. And um, the, um, the other ones, I, I don't know. Um, but the Psalms are interesting because when you read through all, when you read 150 of the Psalms, you realize that it's dealing with all kinds of emotions, all the kinds of emotions that we deal with as well, that we are not on our own when we struggle, when we are depressed, when we're distraught. A lot of times the people in the Psalms were, and they ended up turning to God and finding deliverance from them. Um, a lot of them are Psalms of ascent as they were making their way up to Jerusalem to go there for one of the feasts, one of the seven feasts that they had every year. Uh, and um, they were written for these purposes. Thank you, Annika. I appreciate your question. Good to see you. Uh, we will continue on here. Let me get another question and bring it on in. Uh, it's good to have you guys with us. Huh. All right. Let's see. We have a question from Brady. Uh, Brady says, question, is the army of Joel 2, which is described as being able to be is being able to climb walls and not be hurt by swords the church at armageddon or the army that the lord destroys all right so joel 2 let me just see if i can go there really quick um i'm not sure that i'm able to share anything with you today because once i sat down and put this all together uh i couldn't it didn't seem like i could could share them i'm gonna try to give it a shot here and see but Joel chapter 2, uh, the day of the Lord. Um, so, let's see. So, um, I'm, I'm not sure. Let me just read a little bit of this and let's see if we can kind of figure it out. And let me just see if I can bring you in here. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know quickly. Nope. Not working. All right. So let me just go and read a little bit of this. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound the alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. For it is at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spreading over the mountains. The people come great and strong, uh, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be such after it even for many successive generations. A fire devours, devours before them and behind them a flame burns, burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses and their swift steeds. So they run with the noise of chariots over mountains. They leap like the noise of a flaming fire. They devour the stubble like a strong people set in battle array before the people um, with within pain. All faces are drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Every one of them marches in formation. They do not break ranks. They do not push one another. All right, so I'm, I'm just gonna kind of, and I wish I could bring that up. I'll, I'll get that fixed for our next Q&A so I can. Um, it looks like this is just an, an army that's coming into the land and, and maybe it is the army that just brings desolation in the days of Armageddon. Um, it's been a while since I've been in Joel chapter 2 and I'm trying to remember exactly what the army is. I'll take some time to look it up. It's a good question, Brady, and I'm not sure. 
they're they're a, a devastating destructive army right because things are like the garden of eden in front of them then like complete destruction behind them so as they move through there is this um kind of great devastation that happens and takes place so um yeah i'm not sure sorry i can't give you a better answer on that i'd rather not speculate or guess all right brady but thank you very much for your question i appreciate it if you're joining us here for the very first time it's really good to have you here if you would like to leave us a question then write the word question in front of it and then read out read your question a couple of times before you post it to make sure uh, that it makes sense and uh, we'll be able to put your question up and look at it today but it's good to see you guys and um we have a question from another one from brady um let me go ahead and bring that in here um this is our second one from brady so violating my rule for questions who is the one who uh, letteth in second thessalonians 2 7. all right well let me get to second thessalonians we are about to study second thessalonians um we're going to be starting it um this week we'll be in chapter one we'll probably be in chapter two the next week so we'll be looking closer at this particular question uh for the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work only he that restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way all right so i take it that you're reading the king james brady um restrains so the restrainer is the church we with the holy spirit in us the, no one could get saved unless it's the holy spirit so during the tribulation period the holy spirit's working still here still working but our job is to be light and salt as salt we restrain we 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 in the church are the ones who's restraining abortion abortion is is, is horrible it's awful there are all kinds of things um happening all around the world as far as the number but there would be more if we weren't here we're restraining we're restraining divorce we're restraining the sinfulness of people i know there are people because of the way because of, of 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 my faith and who i am i know people that act differently around me and even though i tell them hey just be yourself um and we are restraining and so the restrainer is the church that will be taken out of the way before the tribulation period. All right, so thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, but it is good to know that that's part of our job. This comes back to what I was talking about a little bit earlier to Renee in understanding who we are and the authority that we've been given and the, the, the job that we've been given. We are restrainers and we restrain what's taking place on the earth. Sometimes we feel powerless and like we don't have any ability to be able to do anything but we really do and the gates of hell will not prevail against us so thank you brady i really appreciate your question we have a question from christ jesus is god amen good name christ jesus is god question daniel 70 weeks the first 39 dealt with the jews so why would the church be in the last week of years they won't perfect explanation you agree uh yes i do agree the context of daniel chapter 9 is in the weeks of years literally it says in the original language 70 sevens so 70 times 7 is 490 years you subtract the last week because there's still one week that after the messiah was cut off but not for himself then there's a gap and there's one week for god to continue to do what he said 
in earlier in Daniel chapter 7. I mean, excuse me, in earlier in Daniel chapter 9. This is in Daniel chapter 9. Um, and uh, man, again, you know what? I might be able to do it on this one. Let me see what I can do here on this one. Let me go ahead and bring up, um, go to, I want to go to Daniel 9. I would like to see if I can read this here. Daniel 9, I think it's verse 21 or something. All right. Bring this over here. Um, so let me go ahead and see if this works. I'm going to try to bring you up on another um, and see. I've been freezing on this. So I'm not frozen now. So all right. So let's go ahead and look at this. So it says 70 weeks are decreed for your people and your holy city. So 77s, again, 70 weeks, that's 490 years. That's the context. People say, well, you're stretching it. You're, th this is weeks. It's not years. No, the context is weeks of years. Go back and read it. Daniel realizes that the children of Israel have not given the land rest for 490 years. So God brought them into captivity for the time that they were there uh, for 70 years. He realizes the 70 years is about done and he's praying about that. Then he gets this angel that appears to him and tells him for 490 years are, are for your holy city, uh, for your people. That's the whole 70 weeks, the last week as well. There's nothing to make us think it's going to change. It says um, to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, and bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up both vision and prophet, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, to the coming of the prince, the anointed one, a prince there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And it shall be built again with squares and moat and a moat, but in a time of trouble. So I'm reading the ESV. It's a little different than the one I'm used to. Um, so that says that there's this, this breakup of, of years there. There's the 62 weeks of years, and then there are the seven weeks. Seven weeks is 49 years. That's how long it took them to build um, the temple and the city. They prepared the walls really quickly under Nehemiah, but it took them 49 years to finish the temple and the city that was there, even though the glory was nowhere near the glory of Solomon. And then, this, that's why it's broken up, and then the 62 weeks, so you have 7 to 62 makes 69 weeks, or 483 years. And after the 62 weeks, the anointed one shall be cut off um, and has, shall have nothing. He'll be cut off and not for himself. That's the, the anointed one, the holy one, the Messiah. Um, and then it says, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and its sins shall come with a flood, which means war, which is exactly what happened in 70 AD. Uh, uh, and the end there shall be war, desolation are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. Now here's our remaining week. We had 62 weeks and seven weeks, I can make 69 weeks, but we have 70 weeks is determined to finish everything. You have a final week. Um, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for a week. That's the Antichrist. He comes from Rome, connected to Rome somehow. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifices and offerings. So in the middle of it, he stops sacrifices and offerings. This means the temple will be rebuilt again in Jerusalem. And on the wing of abomination, he shall also make desolate until the decree is poured out um, on the desolator. All right. So let me go back to your question and see if I have answered that. Um, in Daniel chapter 7, the 690 weeks deal with the Jews. So why would the church be in the last seven years? They won't. Perfect explanation, you agree? Yes, I agree. And 
the whole thing's about Israel. No wonder it's a time of Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah 39, 7, and they will be saved out of it because God's plan is to restore them. And God's going to do it. God's going to be able to restore them, and he does do it. So at least I can get some, uh, some scriptures up on the screen now if you have any questions. But thank you, um, Christ Jesus is God. I do think that that is a, a perfect, um, well, I think it's a perfect point for us, for the preacher of rapture. I think there's a lot of defenses of the preacher of rapture. Um, there's a, a very high vocal minority. And if you believe in the post-trib or mid-trib or pre-wrath, great, I have no problem with you. I, you know, you search the scriptures, you determine what you're gonna believe, but it's funny how the opposite side is highly vocal and tears down. I said this last week, that they call you a heretic or a false teacher um, and that you're leading people astray, but we stand among a lot of good preachers, a lot of good teachers that teach the pre-tribulation rapture. So you're saying that about all of them, about David Jeremiah and uh, Charles Swindoll and John MacArthur and Charles Stanley and Alistair Begg and the list goes on and on. And I'm not saying that's a way to defend them or that makes us right because all these guys are right. I'm simply saying when you start making accusations like that, you're making accusations against a lot of people and I think we stand in good company, all right? So thank you very much for your question. Christ Jesus is God, great YouTube name, by the way. I love it, all right? Um, so uh, we're just going through here looking for another question. You can write the word question in front of your question and then read it a couple of times before you go ahead and, um, and submit it. So we have a question here from um, uh, Lourdes. Um, hope I didn't butcher your name too bad. Lourdes, what does the Bible say about family? An unmarried couple staying in the same room overnight in our home for a visit. Is, um, is it against it not mention it or does it not mention it? What does the Bible say about family? An unmarried couple staying in the same room overnight in our home for a visit. All right, so I'm going to go where I think you're going with this. If I miss it, I'm sorry, all right? Um, so I take it that you're having a visit from family members, non-Christian, who are maybe engaged or boyfriend and girlfriend, and you wonder if you should allow them to stay in the same room in your house. And I've heard arguments on this side, on both sides of this. On one side, they'll say, well, they're not Christians and they're involved sexually anyway. And so you reaching out to them, being hospitable to them, having them in your home, you can live for Christ. They can see Christ. They're non-believers. You're going to ask non-believers to stop acting like non-believers. And um, when they need to come to Christ, we don't want to try to Christianize people before they come to Christ but instead really show them how they can make a commitment and have that real strong commitment towards him. So that's one argument. The other argument is that you would not allow something sinful to take place under your house. That they come in and they're unmarried and so then they have sex in your bedroom and there's some sin taking place um, in, in your bedroom and that you shouldn't allow it to do that. And I don't know that I know the situation good enough to be able to give you a direct answer. 
um, the Bible. I, I don't know that it says that, I anything about it. You know, um, should you, uh, well, yeah, I don't know that the Bible says anything about it. This is something you're gonna have to pray about, that you're gonna have to gain, gain wisdom on uh, from God as to uh, what, what you would do. Um, I could see that there would be the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. There would be situations in which you would say, go ahead and stay in the room, situations in which you would say no. Uh, you certainly don't want to, to divide just to divide. You want to be able to share the gospel. And maybe making a stand might be a shock to them and to their system that perhaps they're not walking right with God. So you really have to seek God, be led by Him. And I'm sorry that I, I'm, I'm no help. I don't see anything in the scriptures that would help us to be able to understand it. Um, I, do, I can see people feeling strongly about this on both sides and people getting upset or offended on both sides of this. So if I, I, you just need to pray, seek God, make a decision, and then stick to your decision. You wanna walk in love. You wanna make sure that love drives your decision. And I think both sides could make a case for what love would look like. So I don't think that it really excludes one side or the other. All right. So thank you. I appreciate your question. I, I hope that you really do get the, that worked out. It is um, a, a little bit, a little bit uncomfortable. I understand. All right. So we have a question from. Is it um, uh, Catherine? Catherine says, "Question: Does the Garden of Eden still exist? Have you seen it? I have not seen it, uh, and I." I do not believe that it still exists. I think that it would have been destroyed during the flood and that whatever, wherever that mountain of God was, there are a lot of people that try to trace riverheads back and find places where it could have been. Maybe they found where it was, maybe not. Um, but it was called the Garden of God and they were expelled from it because there was a tree of life there. And if they ate it, they would live forever in their fallen nature instead of, we just shut the door on redemption. So angels blocked that, they would not be able to go back into it anyway. Um, I don't think it would exist. Even if we could find where it was, it would be where it was and not where it is. All right, Catherine, thank you very much for your question. I appreciate that. So, um, let's see. If you are joining us for the very first time, it's really good to have you here. I hope you guys are, are blessed by the time that we take to look at the scripture, uh, look at questions through the lens of scripture. We have a question here from Renee. Uh, this is a different Renee than the first Renee. Renee says, um, was it easy or hard when you first began your calling? What advice do you give someone when they begin their calling? Thank you, Pastor Robert. Um, uh, I wish I could get a little bit more Renee on what you mean by calling. Do you mean God calling me to be a pastor? Do you mean God calling me to be a Christian? To God calling me to be a witness? Because we've all been called to be witnesses for him. We've all been called to be salt and light for him. We are all soldiers doing battle. We're all to put on our armor. So that's every Christian. Um, as far as being entering into being a pastor, I wanted to do that from the time I was very young. I, um, 
at 12 and 13 years old. I got my driver's license at 15 and eight months, which is pretty early. Albuquerque let you get it early. But before that, I would ride my 10 speed all around Albuquerque. And I would preach to my front tire. I was killing time while I was riding, coming up with sermons. I was young, 12, 13, 14 years old. And I was preaching sermons to my front tire. I had a really good sermon that I would preach on sowing to the flesh and sowing to the spirit, and the kind of things that come out of your life when you do. Um, and so have I, have I had difficulties as a pastor? Most certainly. Have I had horrible sermons? Yes. Have I, if my sermons were like that on a regular basis, I would think, Lord, just, I don't want to do it. <laughs> Let me do something else. Uh, have there been difficulties in ministry? Have people been difficult? Yes. I have almost 40 years from ministry in junior high, high school, and then as a senior pastor, almost 40 years of experience in ministry as a servant, right? That's what ministry is. And I can tell you that there have been some really difficult, really hard times. Just because you go into ministry doesn't mean that there's not going to be difficult or hard times because there certainly is going to be. Um, have I had difficulties as my call as a Christian? That as I stand for Christ? Yes. But Jesus said this. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But be a good cheer. I've overcome the world. Rejoice when people persecute you. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I came to bring a division. And so we have division that is in Christ as we live for him. So if you want to, in the future, we're almost running out of time now, but in the future, if you want to ask a question and clarify what you mean by calling, that would be helpful because I think that I could apply that to a couple different things, which I did. All right. So let me take a look and see if we have another question here. If not, we'll be wrapping things up. Let's go ahead and uh, take this question from Terry. And this will be our last question for today. Uh, if you have questions still, well, let me read through this and we'll see if we can't take one more. Uh, the King James Version is rather hard for me to understand. What would be the better Bible for me? I have just started my walk with the Lord. Congratulations, by the way. Let God mature you, bring you into a depth with him. Know that you represent him everywhere you go. Stand strong for him. Be humble about that. Walk humbly before the Lord and, um, and let God use you as a light that shines in dark places. All right. Um, so just began my walk with the Lord again and need help. I want to read every day. Yes. And that's fantastic. So, um, I take it that you've known the Lord before or for a while, and maybe you came back just because the way your question is asked. And I would suggest, I use the King James, New King James Version. I'm very familiar with it. I quote most of the Bible verses I quote come out of that. Um, I read the ESV today. The ESV is a good Bible. The NASB is a good translation. The ESV is a good translation. Um, I would, uh, I, I mean, I would use the New King James, but you could use the NASB or the ESV. Uh, but a good translation that has that gum, that has a word that represents the word that's being used. And then they have to fill that in to try to make sure that it's correct. It still is in the Greek, it isn't the Hebrew, but it's really close and you can read it and and there you may be able to do research back into the original language to find out exactly whether or not the way it was translated over is correct. And that's the beauty of the day that we live in. All right? So um, New King James is the one that I use. I, I don't know if it's any better than the ESV or the NASB. I think all of them are really good. 
All right, let's take one more question and this will be it for today. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate your questions. Continue to write them down. I'll get the log of your questions. I'll use them in the future for future Q&As. Uh, we will be back here again on Wednesday. We'll have a three o'clock Wednesday afternoon Q&A. I look forward to seeing you guys there. One, two, at the rapture, will our current bodies be taken? All right, question. Will our current bodies be taken or will our spirits be taken and placed into the new bodies? Because of this, the imperfections such as moles, metal plates, screws in the body. All right, thank you, Matthew. I appreciate that. Um, no, we're gonna be transformed. This corruptible is gonna put on incorruptible. This mortal is gonna put on immortality. We will be changed in a moment in twinkling of an eye. Um, I have trouble reading things up close now, right? It's just my age. I can't, I gotta get close to things to be able to read them. When I, when my new body, I won't have trouble. Everything will work perfect. If you have a metal plate in your head, you won't have it in your head. If you have a partial knee, you won't have a partial metal knee. Hip replacement, you won't have a partial metal hip. You will have a new body transformed in Christ Jesus and we will be like him when we see him on that day that we are taken to be with him. And, and we see that when the dead in Christ rise first, when their spirits and souls come with Jesus, the dead in Christ rise first, um, the dust of the earth gives up the dead that are in them. I think it says in Isaiah. Um, and so, yeah, it's a resurrection of the body and we will be new uh, and we will be transformed and what a day it will be. Uh, thank you very much for your questions. Thank you very much for joining us. I hope this has been helpful to you. Uh, you can, until we close this out, you can still write your questions and submit them. I'll be seeing them later and I'll look to add them to our Q&A later on. But God bless you guys. We have a service in two hours. Uh, we are going to be talking about discerning the times. Jesus called the, the multitudes of that day hypocrites because they could discern the weather but not the time. They should have known the Messiah was there. Could we be living in that same hypocrisy and not discerning the time properly that we are living in? Thank you guys. God bless you. Stay close to Jesus. Uh, may you love him more than you've ever loved him before. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the flesh. And what happens? So may you sow to the spirit so you can reap everlasting life. And may you be careful not to sow to the flesh so you don't from the flesh reap corruption. And God forgive us when we do and, and help uh, to change us so that we see the good things that come from us serving and following you. All right, God bless you guys. Have a great week. I'm signing out. We will we'll see you uh, in a couple of hours. If you wanna join us online, YouTube, Facebook, or live at both of our campuses